Okay, here we go. Uh, TMG podcast in three, two. Hello, everybody, and greetings, and welcome back to the award-winning TMG podcast. This is Tony Barnhart, and you know, folks, after a college football season that we will never forget, we have a national champion. Monday night, Alabama dominated Ohio State, 52-24. to to give Nick Saban a record seventh national championship. Now, we're going to talk about all of that and a number of topics as we sort of put a bow on this 2020 season. Like I said, one that we will never, ever forget. Now, before we get started, we want to thank our sponsor, APA, APBA, the unchallenged king of realistic, high-quality sports simulation products. John Herson and the gang there, we do appreciate their help. Also want to thank David at Revelation Studios in Mansfield, Texas. Without David, we can put it all together and get it to you. So, shall we get started? Let's call the roll for the last time for the last time this season, this college football season, from lovely Sichuan, Mass., uh, Mr. Mark Blauschen, a Jersey guy. You there, Mr. Blauschen? Uh, I'm here, Tony, and, you know, got through the season like a surprise to many of us, so we'll see what happens now. Well, I I think it's been quite an accomplishment. Uh, In the Windy City, we've got Herb Gould. Mr. Gould, you with us today? Yeah, I am here, and uh, I'm anxious to see if Alabama can add the basketball championship. (laughs) <laughs> they've been they've been playing well here so we shall see we shall see and from new jersey the pride of new jersey mr tom lucci senator lucci are you with us today i am tony and uh grateful i was not in tuscaloosa after the championship game celebrating are you are you saying that social distancing was not in enforced there in tuscaloosa when it was all well, over not in tuscaloosa it was in miami with devonta smith and uh um, a lot of states pass defense, but not. not, not <laughs> <to> lose, <but laughs> no. Oh, oh, save the good stuff. Save the good stuff. So we're going to get All right. So, what, gentlemen, let's take our first look at this at 20,000 feet. I, I've spoken to all of you during the summer uh, about what was going on and what we were hearing. And Mark Blasch, and I got to say, I can look back on it now. I remember a conversation with. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, I want to say mid-July, mid-late July, he was concerned. And when the fact that he was concerned made me concerned. But somehow, Mark Blauschen, we did it. How, how did we do it? I, I think perseverance and uh, it was one thing. And, and, and uh, I'll give Sankey and the SEC credit. I mean, they had a plan. They, they foresee they foresaw what was going to happen, you know, as much as they could during the season. They started late. They put in enough uh, windows to to take care of some stoppages and play, unlike the the, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, which totally screwed the thing up from start to finish. Uh, so, and they persevered. So, I'll give them uh, perseverance was was my bit of key word here. Is they just hung tough. And the fact that, that Alabama played of what thirteen games that's an amazing. I mean, they played all their games. I mean, that's pretty good. Ten. SEC regular season games for Alabama, plus an SEC championship game, plus two top four teams uh, in the playoffs. It was uh, quite an accomplishment. But, Herb, I want to ask you, you had a front row seat to the entire Big Ten episode from the decision to uh, opt out of the season on August 11th, the reinstatement, 
to Ohio State. I mean, you give me your 20,000-foot look at the Big Ten and everything that happened to the Big Ten in the year of the pandemic. Well, you know, Jim Delaney picked the wrong year to retire. <laughs> the first thing I would start with, you know, there was there was, you know, a new leadership, if you will, and, and they made, you know, they made some short-sighted decisions at the start of the football season. And I think part of that was based on the fact that they were very quick to pull the plug on the basketball season. And that turned out to be a follow the leader deal. Uh, the football season did not. And then once they'd done that, they did, you know, they, they just, it was just mistake filled. They did not anticipate the backlash from fans, players, alums, you know, it was just a very poor process, you know, well-intentioned, but you know, what's that, you know, the road to uh, somewhere is paved with good intentions. Uh, you know, they did revive it at the end and, and uh, yet it was sought off. I think that the fact that Ohio state beat Clemson in my mind, you know, that kind of validated a little bit for the people of the Big Ten and took a little bit the edge off of, you know, all the angst of the year. But, yeah, it was, you know, it was just a lot of mistakes were made early on. Miscalculations probably is a better word. And it, it just made it very difficult the whole fall. Tom Lucci, I mean, you, you're you're obviously in Big Ten country as well, which is it's always hard for me to, to grasp that, but it's true. Uh but here's the question I have. At the end of the day, obviously Kevin Warren as a first-year commissioner bared some responsibility. But I, I'm wondering if about the presidents of the, the Big Ten because, to me, Herb touched upon it. If Jim Delaney had been there, I think you see a completely different unfolding. Jim Delaney would have told the presidents, well, this is what we're going to do, which is what he'd done for 30 years. Kevin Warren did not have that gravitas as a first-year commissioner. So at the end of the day, it sounds like there's a, enough blame to go around for the Big Ten. Fair? Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. But listen, I don't think that obviously the Big Ten didn't do the best job in dealing with this, and I, but I don't think they did the worst. Uh, my, my biggest issue is an overview, is a general overview, is um, the inability of leaders to adapt to this pandemic, to understand it, and and to, to find some consistency. Because the rules kept changing, Tony. I mean, you know, yep. uh, it, how many how many guys were available? They had to they had to make up these rules on the fly. You had to have fifty or fifty five players. Uh, then it was okay for uh, you know Ohio State to play six games, and then it wasn't. And, and you know, it just seemed like that's what made this a bigger mess of the season than it was. You know, the Pac twelve starting late, not having any idea. You know, their third best team going to their champ going to the Rose. The whole thing was just, I think, in general, mishandled by most leaders in the country when it comes to college football, because I don't think they understood uh, the, the severity of this uh, of this pandemic and, and how to deal with it. And I can't blame them for not knowing how to deal with it, but uh, the, the waffling. I mean, you know, then they, first they were not letting fans in. Then what did we see at the championship game? 14,000 fans at some venues in Texas. We saw 25,000 fans. It just got, there was, there was no consistency, and that's what... I think I take away from this season. Well, along those same lines, guys, I don't think there's any question that this, while college football got through the season, uh, they played a championship game, played a, a, a good number of games, but I don't think there's any question, guys. Well, let me put it to you that this season, 
exposed is not the right word. It reaffirmed what we've all of us who work in it know about college football. When it comes to matters like this, there are five different entities and all of them are going to do what's in their best interest. And there's nobody looking out for the overall health and well-being of the game. Is that fair, Mark Blaschen? Well, absolutely, and, and that, that's been a problem in the past, and it'll, be, and it'll certainly be the problem in the future because college football has been, has been written in many areas. We're facing some major – we thought this was chaotic, but wait to see the changes that are on the horizon that are not that are not pandemic-related. It's just in the structure of the game and, and the, and the way – they, they, they deal with athletes and coaches. I mean, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a a, a, a oh, you know uh, just unbelievable uh, um, chaos. You know, if, if I might interject here, guys, I think one one really encouraging sign is Jim Phillips becoming the ACC commissioner. Yeah. That's going to help bring. You know, it, it's still going to be a federation, but I think he has a chance to really uh, help build consensus because this is a man who, who's going to bring a wealth of, of knowledge and experience in dealing with big 10 people. And now he's going to build those kind of uh, relationships in the ACC. And, and he's just a very gifted administrator. I, I think that's a very positive sign for, for college football that they'll be able to get together. I mean, if, if he and Greg Sankey get together, the way Jim Delaney got together with the SEC commissioners, that can be, you know, a, a way to bridge this gap of, of, as you said, Tony, not having one central leader. Well, I, I, I think it's going to be fascinating moving forward. Uh, what what happens? Uh, there's no question. Uh, and my our colleague Mark Blauschen pointed this out to me not too long ago that. Greg Sankey was getting a little tired of carrying the water for everybody. And uh, I think that's, I think that has been the case, but we, we will see moving forward. Guys, let me go to the game on Monday night. It, it was one of those games. I, I picked Alabama to win. I picked Alabama to cover, but I thought Ohio state would hang in there and they did hang in there early, but man, as the game went on, it was like, they can't, I was just, Alabama, I shouldn't have been surprised because Alabama been doing it all year. They did it to everybody but Florida. Is they they were simply simply relentless uh, about uh, about offensively, and you, you know you you try to s- slow Devonte Smith down, and then Najee Harris runs forever and stuff like that. Lucci, just from an X's and O's standpoint, what what impressed you the most about Alabama on Monday night? Well, I, I think. Uh, well, two things. Their their depth of incredible talent. Number one, uh, how they can just keep plugging players in, and, and those players produce. But number two, really how good their offensive line was. I I, I think that that kind of showed itself because they dominated. It. And listen, I I think Tony, we we touched on this last week that kind of felt like uh, Alabama was a little vanilla, maybe going through the motions against Notre Dame, and that we'd see a much more uh, high octane Alabama. And mm-hmm. and had Mac Jones not fumbled on that drive that led to the, to the Ohio state touchdown. I think it's tied to score at 14. I, I, I think it would have been a blowout even earlier than it was because uh, Alabama was unstoppable at that point. So if Mac Jones doesn't fumble, Ohio state doesn't recover. We're probably looking at 35, seven or 42, seven at the half. So that's, that's what impressed me. Their offensive line in there and, and their skilled people on offense, just uh, 
you know, is it the best college team of all time? I don't know. You know, I, I, again, I, I still, I still lean towards the LSU last year only because they did have the number one overall draft pick. He had a phenomenal season, Joe Burrow, and they did have 14 players, I think, drafted from that team. But Alabama is in the that's in there. They're in the same sentence. Well, Mark Blashen wrote this, and he and I discussed it. But you know, people ask why is Alabama so good? I said because they've got the best players. Think about this: there there are 12 individual awards in college football, starting with the Heisman. They won the Heisman. They won seven of 12 individual awards. They had the best offensive line in college football, which is uh, which is the Joe Moore Award, which goes every year. They play, oh, by the way, they played the national championship game without their All-American center. Uh, uh, six first-team All-Americans in that game. Three of the top five vote-getters for the Heisman Trophy. It was just uh, – uh, as you know, as great as that uh, LSU team was last year, I think you got to dis- you got to at least have this team uh, in the discussion. Here is what here is the question I want to raise now. Alabama won the game because they're simply a lot better, and Texas, I'm sure, is thrilled uh, to watch what Steve Sarkeesian did on Monday night. Now, now Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, he's now he's got to go out and find him some uh, uh, Devontae Smith and Najee Harrison those kind of guys to, to run it. But here's the question. Back in 2017, the national championship game that was played in Atlanta between Georgia and Alabama. Alabama, of course, won with the walk-off touchdown pass uh, to, to Devontae Smith, who was a true, true freshman uh, at the time. I went back up to the press box and wrote that night because it was Saban's sixth national championship. I wrote that night that he was the greatest college football coach of all time. Last couple of years, I've still been getting pushed back on that. So now he's won seven, which is one more than Bryant. Uh, two more. I think there are two coaches who have five. Uh, he has done it in an era of only 85 scholarships. And this year he did it under the most difficult circumstances, or certainly some of the most difficult circumstances you can imagine. So I wrote it again. I said, now, there, the, the debate is over. There can be no more debate. Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. Is that fair, Mark Blash? Oh, it's more than fair, Tony, and it, and it's and it's also I, I think as accurate as you can get in this this subjective war and this subjective discussion. But here's the amazing thing about and, and I think boys from ESPN can this stat, which I think is one of the more astounding stats I've ever heard. That if you play three years. For Nick Saban at Alabama, he won a national championship. Every player that played three years at Alabama was part of the national championship team. That's an amazing stat. That shows you the overall, how good they were, and how consistent they have been for 13 years. Not not one year, not two years, not five years. 13 years of of, of, of excellence. And and, and I see see no sign or very little sign that it's going to decline when when you see the recruiting classes that keep on coming in. And, 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 and also, when, when, when you plug in, like you've mentioned many times, how Nick takes his coaching staff and, and lets, lets the boys go out and get their head jobs like a Monty Kiffin or now a Sarkeesian, and replaces them with people, not only young coaches, but old coaches who need rehab. So, the whole, old, so you look at the whole picture of all of that, and, and, and it's not even close. I mean, the, the whole and, – and, and, and just done it you know, consistently with all sorts of obstacles, I don't think it's, it's an issue. Well, guys, th- th- put, put it in this perspective. Nick Saban came to Alabama 
for the 2007 season. Uh, at the time, he was signed to an eight-year contract that paid him $4 million a year. Uh, seems like a bargain now, doesn't it? Uh, yep. But here's, here, here, here's the thing. The 2007 season, they had some NCAA issues that they had to deal with. So the 2007 was a, they they uh, vacated some wins. All right, but so let's forget the first season. Starting in 2008, Alabama goes undefeated in 2008, plays Florida for the SEC championship and a spot in the BCS championship game. They lose that game. All right, but they go they went undefeated during the regular season. The following year, they come back and go go undefeated and win or, or with one loss and win the national championship. Every year, starting in 2008, every season then, they have been in the national championship discussion. And I saw one stat that said in that, in that stretch from 2008 to 2020, that's 13 seasons. They've only been... Yeah, Tony, I would say this to jump in there too, but and people think that it's Alabama and it's so easy to win there and that he inherited this great program, which he did. But I think if you look at the records from the, the coaches from when Bear Bryant retired, I think it was 1982, right. until he took over, they had a sex, succession of very, very mediocre coaches, maybe with the exception of Gene Stallings. Okay, but you're talking about Ray Perkins was okay. Curry was, Bill Curry was okay. Um, didn't they have Dennis Franchione for a while? They had Dennis Franchione for two seasons. Mike DeBose, Mike Shula. They were, you know, what were we talking about? It, it's not like he inherited this program when it was at the top, when it was Alabama. Right. You know, he, he kind of, you know, it's easy to rebuild at Alabama. I get all that. But he, he didn't walk in with a national championship roster and then just continue to build off it. They, they had some struggles that were very un-Alabama-like. And the other thing I would add is, We'll we'll know if your argument holds water in about five years when it's um, you know Bryant Denny Saban Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to to your point, Tony, I would add that to do what he's what Nick Saban has done in this era carries additional weight. I, mean, I agree. After six national championships, he was already the greatest in my mind because when when Bear Bryant, you know, and Era Parsegian and and the the legendary coaches of all time in the sport were working. It was a much smaller pool of potential national champions. When you look around now, I mean, there's a lot of programs that with the right guy and, and the dedication, they can do it. And, and, you know, for, for Alabama to have this continued excellence in this competitive of an era is, is a very, very large statement. Well, there are three of Bear Bryant's national championships were decided in years when he only played six conference games. So that, to, to me, that, that it's a totally different game now for Nick Saban. All right, let's go into a couple of other things. Guys, let's, season's over, let's roll forward. One of the topics I think all of us wrote about at some point this year is this year sort of pointed out, at least we need to have a discussion about an eight-team playoff. So let's let's start there. My position is that it's it's time because of the uh, so many players opting out. We need to keep more players and more schools engaged, and that is one reason to have an eight-team playoff. Mark Blauschen, do we need an eight-team playoff, and how quickly can it get done? Well, I, I, 
Yes, and, and I don't know, and I, and I agree with her, but I, I've, I've been an 18 playoff guy for a couple of years now uh, because I, when, when this deal was signed, the first thing I noticed was that it was exclusionary because it kept, it kept a, a, a champion, a, a possible, a potential 12-0 champion out of, out of the, the, the playoffs. I mean, if you, had, you got four teams and you got five conference champions, if they all go 12-0, which is not going to happen, but potentially someone's going to get left out, and we, we – We've avoided major controversies on that fact, but but it, it, it was just exclusionary. Now, having said that, it is uh, I, I think if we would have had Alabama Clemson again, I think that the cry for 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 probably led by Herb uh, would have been to, to expand it because it, it's too much of a regional, you know, uh, little southern good old boy tournament. That Ohio State opened it up a little bit, um, but you need. You, you, I think we, we and the other problem is it's we're seven it's seven years into a twelve year contract. And, and I, I think that the, the playoff committee met on Monday in Miami to discuss that, and, and it was not a topic of, of fine discussion, yeah. according to the stories that I read. It was, it was not brought up as a, as a major thing. So I think things are going to quiet down. I think Ohio State and, and opening up the Big Ten this year uh, and you know made that a little bit easier to, to digest and let it go for a year or so. But I think it's still coming. When? I don't know. It, it might be five years now when, when they do the new – I don't know. I would add this, Ronnie, too. I, I, I think uh... – a lot of college football fans are getting Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State fatigue. And and I, I think to, to open it up to a more broader audience, you can include more schools. You make the eight. And I, I think that would do it. Look at the numbers from the ratings from Monday night. 18.7 million viewers. That's down 8 million from the previous year, the LSU game, mm-hmm. LSU-Clemson. So, I mean, it's the lowest I, 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 in history, Luke. It's, it's the lowest in, in, in a seven-year thing, right. the lowest in history. I, I know. I'm saying there's some fatigue from general right. college football fans, wherever, Midwest, wherever it might be, West Coast, that it's the same schools. And I, at least if we get eight, you get some early interest, and you spread it around a little bit. And, and there's the other thing is, too, you have teams in the AAC and, and the other group of fives uh, competing for something. They're playing for a playoff spot, and you, ha- you know that's so important to, to sustain and maintain interest in the sport. I, I think we're seeing it starting to, to you know, uh, fade a little bit. And I, we got to jump started. Well, you know that that works. That, that works, Tom. Really, in 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 the Power Five leagues too. I mean, a Pac-12 team that's not in the discussion for the a four-team playoff is is in my mind going to have an automatic bid in an eight-team playoff. And I think the other thing is maybe it was an unintended consequence, but when you have a four-team playoff, recruiters can go into homes and they can say, well, mm-hmm. you know, as Tony pointed out in an article a while back, that you know the vast majority of these playoff berths are going to a, a small handful of teams. When you spread it out to eight, now you, you have a chance to, to sort of spread out the recruiting benefits as well. Well, here's the question. I think that's a very important point because – well, here, here was the stat, guys. We played seven years of the college football playoff, four teams each year. That's 28 bids that have been extended to the college football playoff. Of those 28 bids, 22 have gone to five different schools. So four schools have played this year in Oklahoma. All right. That, that is an issue for maintaining people's interest. Here's a question that I have, and Herb, you raised this, but I, w- I want some clarity from what you guys think on this. It, with an 18 playoff, a, do all five Power Five conferences get an automatic bid? And B, does the highest-ranked group of five get an automatic bid? Let's start with uh, Tom Lucci. 
I would say yes. I think that's all in, in the interest of the the, the broad-based fan appeal for the sport and and keeping everybody involved. I would say absolutely. Um, group of five would get the automatic bid highest one, and then you have listen. There could be a second group of five, you know, with with those uh, two extra bids there um, after the five conference champions. So it, it's not excluding the group of five uh, from a second bid. The the option is there. They just have to earn it. Mark Blaschen, do we still have a a selection committee to pick the at largest? Yeah, you do. I mean, and, and, and also to, to, to put the, the other bowls and in, in, in there's still going to be other bowl games. I mean, you're not going to be the, uh, you can have a, a playoff, six, six New Year's bowl games. You got to put those things together. So I, I think it's, you know, uh, and Mark, I, you don't I, mean, I, I think it's, Mark, you, you, you got to have every conference represented. You got to have the group yeah. of five represented somehow. Now you can, you can put in some clauses there where there's a minimum standard. Like, you, like I think a couple of years ago, they, they put, they put didn't they put in for a group of five top fifteen ranking as well or something like that to get in to get to be eligible. Uh, so you might have some some clauses. So in, in the year that you have like a like a an, an eight and four you know Northwestern team that that is on the fringe top twenty, well then you got some worries about that and, and maybe you put the highest ranked team in there. I don't I don't know how that works, but but you have to have all all the conferences involved. Well, it's gonna it, it's gonna be just talking to commissioners over the years. It's gonna be a big fight on having automatic bids because there are, there are some commissioners who don't like the idea of automatic bids because some eight and four team representing, Oh, I don't know the pac 12 would get in. And so I think at the end of the day, the, but the, everybody's not going to sign off of it if they don't get automatic bids. I mean, Jim Delaney was at, Jim Delaney, as you recall, uh, Tom Lucci was adamant about that. You mean you say Tony, uh, an Oregon team that doesn't win this division, it doesn't win. It's uh, you know goes to its championship game. Uh, would get in. We might get into the uh, playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, no, I know. I, I, it could happen. I understand, <laughs> I understand, I understand the, the reluctance, but I think for the, the, the sake of inclusion, you have to have. If you're going to have five power conferences, you have to have them all get an automatic bid. Right. Well, it's it's it, it's going to be interesting in this respect. We've got five more years left on this contract. This COVID, you know, the question is how much, how much go do we get back to normal for next season instead of the COVID season? What what that's like, and I think that sort of will dictate. If we were to go through another difficult year and the ratings are down, would you say, Mark Blaschen, the ratings were the all time lowest for the championship, championship game? game? Right, and and wow. and, and, a, and a CFP era, yeah. And you, know, we would think that that would cause ESPN to want to relook at the contract, right? Uh, you know, if their ratings continue to decrease, maybe they need to, to, to do something to juice it up a little bit. And the well, eight teams to do that. It gives them more inventory, too. You know, another question that that I think needs to be addressed, because I, I hear a lot, you know, Chicago being such an NFL-oriented place. I hear from a lot of my pro football friends that college football, they don't play defense. And I try and explain to them that <laughs> it isn't a question of playing defense. It's just the rules are a little different. I think you, you mentioned this before, Tony, that, you know, with, with linemen going a little farther down line, it kind of freezes uh, downfield. It, it freezes defenses a little more, but, but the bottom line point is that I think they need to look at how the rules are set up. I mean, if we're going to have games that are going to be in the forties and fifties routinely, that's a turnoff to some real hardcore football fans. And it also, you know, it's kind of the, the pendulum is sort of swung to offense now. I don't know what the answer is, but but I do believe that 
that's something that should be looked at by coaches and, and other people who have a firm grasp of it. Yet the irony to that, Herb, uh, you know, the NFL people's making those complaints is the NFL is stealing stuff from colleges. From oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see it all the time, the college influence in a game. You know, so uh, it's kind of funny that they would say that. I understand what they're saying, especially if I listen, if I had to watch Mitch Trubisky, a quarterback, you know, for four months, I'd probably <laughs> say the same thing. But uh, I'm just saying it's, you know, it's funny now you see all these options. You see these quarterbacks now who are dual threats. You know, well, the, you know, aside from that, though, I, I think, it, you know, I mean, tell me, guys, do you want to do you want to I love offense and I don't want to see 10 to three games routinely, but. But, you know, when 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 scores are ending 52, 48, which we saw a lot of this year, you know, you need to just I think you just need to take a step back and say, why is this happening? And is there a remedy that would make our game better? I I was convinced after I watched the first game and Rutgers beat Princeton 6-4. I didn't want to see that again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's no question that the the ability of offensive linemen to go three and a half yards downfield and the, the run pass out that, you know, I talked to defensive guys. I mean, I mean, basically linemen can go downfield and you can fake a run and then throw it over the top of the linebacker. Who's convinced that it's a, that that's a tremendous advantage for the, uh, for the offense. And, and so, yeah, I think there's going to have to be uh, a discussion, but the thing that would have to change is the NFL rule. I think you can go a yard down the field. For offensive linemen, I think that's the NFL rule. In college, you can do it three and a half. That's you, uh, that's a hell of a thing. Tony, Tony, what'd you say too? That it's time to adopt the two feet in bounds for a catch. Yeah, I mean, yeah. listen, they're going to the next level. A lot of these guys, I, I don't know. You know, it just seems like uh, you know it, that might slow things down a little bit because you see how many toe taps with one foot either in the end zone or on the sidelines or whatever it might be, and their completions, which they would not be at the next level. We'll see. All right, guys, let me let me get bring up one more topic here before we uh, close it for the day. And it's this we heard earlier this week, you know, we're in this month. We're expecting there to be legislation approved from the NCAA on the uh, name, images and likeness issue. And, of course, the transfer rules and all that uh, they've taught. They Mark Emmert announced they're postponing it. Uh, Mark. Blaschen, what what's going to happen here? Is this going to get done this year? It'll get done. Absolutely, it'll, it'll get done, and 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 then we're going to have we're going to have even more chaos uh, because you you, you add that to, to to the transfer rule where you're going to have free agency basically in football and, and in basketball. I mean, you're, you're I mean, you're going to not. It's going to be. I I can't know what the sport's going to look like as players. Uh, and 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 inaccurate. The group of five schools are, are just going to get pummeled because if you have anyone who's any good who play for a group of five school, uh, and he can transfer to a power five school, you know, he'll be he'll be there for for three weeks or three three months, and he'll be gone the next season. So I don't know how that's going to trickle down into recruiting and, and other stuff. So we're going to have total chaos. Well, you know, I, might, I might point out that when you know for for decades, Major League Baseball used a similar argument. To have the uh, you know to, against free agency and it it does change the shape of it. There's no doubt, but I I think that you know the individual rights of of players it's just that's sort of an inevitable progression and and I don't know how you really stop that and it, no. the sport will adjust to it. Don't you think, Herb? Though no. that 
if these guys are getting that much money, uh, they'll technically be pros. Are we going to be able to rip them a little more? <laughs> yeah, you can do that. Well, that hasn't stopped you uh, or, or us for that matter. <laughs> That's true. Oh, it's it is it's going to be fa- you know as somebody pointed out it's, uh, it it is going to be it's, the nil is going to be a train wreck but you know what that's a train wreck that you're going to have to figure out how to manage and live with because the 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 it's going to happen the players are going to be allowed to make some money off their name images and likeness and 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 this is far from over because what's going to happen is the first time a guy gets turned down for some money making opportunity he's going to turn around and sue so we're we're a long way from from getting this thing resolved all right let's let's go around the table one last time let me ask you this mark blashen the season is over what are you looking forward to in, in 2021 uh i'm looking <laughs> i'm looking forward to, to fans in the stands bands and and and, and the the flavor of college football return, you know, of, of some sort. That's what I miss the most about it. To, to watch the, the fed-in noise, crowd noises and the empty cities drove me crazy uh, uh, as much as anything. So I want to, I want to, college football to me, is, 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 we've all known the campus, the campus pep rallies, and that's, that might be cliches, but it was made, what made it fun for me was the whole experience of a college football weekend. I hope that's, that can come back. Herb, what are you looking forward to in 2021? Well, you know, that, that, that's a great point, Blau. And also, I would say, you know, I, I like the, you know, we used to get bored in September with, with only a handful of real games. But, that you know, that is sort of a spring training kind of a build. Uh, it helps teams put things together. I want to see. And it's all, and more importantly, it's, it's really important for the group of five programs economically to be able to have those games. So I'd like to see that. And then the other thing that I think is going to be interesting, if, if what I'm reading is accurate, the there's going to be more teams moving up this year because the, the top-tier teams are going to lose their guys to the draft. But these new NCAA rules that allow kids to return are going to be of a benefit to programs that don't have real high-end NFL prospects. So it could be a real competitive kind of a season you know, teams like Iowa State that don't have, you know, oodles of NFL picks are going to maintain, whereas the Oklahomas are going to be rebuilding more. So it could be a real competitive, fun kind of a season. Tom Lucci, what are you looking forward to? All the things that, that Herb and Blau mentioned, plus the I want to see the uh, the uh, kind of battle between the old guard. Like, what trend continues? I'll wrap this up briefly, but Alabama had a team that was intact for four or five years, whatever it was. That was all Nick Saban's recruits. The past two years, we've had national championship finalists with a transfer quarterback, LSU, Joe Burrow, Ohio State transfer quarterback, transfer running back. Uh, Can you build a national champion with transfers, or will the old guard ways of Alabama continue? I I don't know. I I think it's trending toward the Ohio State. LSU kind of way, but it'll be interesting to see if the if Alabama can be the still be the holdout, and other other schools can follow that that model. But but you can bet that Nick Saban's got a, got two assistant coaches looking at that transfer portal every single day. So yeah, try finding players in the country better than what he has, though, Tony. Well, there's no there is no doubt this. Uh, I think as Blau said, he's got another number one recruiting class. And oh, by the way, he, he signed the number one high school quarterback in America in Bryce Young last year. 
Young did not only got on the field a little bit because nobody knew Mac Jones was going to be that good. How Bryce Young takes over the team, and this guy, he is Tua like. I was uh, I was told. So, well, listen, gentlemen, uh, that should put a wrap on it. it. This has been it has been an incredible journey with you guys. And look, folks, we'll we'll be back if, if something happens and uh, something big. We'll we'll, uh, we'll gather together. And we'll we'll do some more podcasting. You know, gentlemen, it has been a remarkable season, a season that we will never forget uh, from going through the the concerns of whether or not we played and managing the virus to games being postponed, the games being canceled. And ultimately, we got to where the, we wanted to go in the sport and crown the national championship. But uh, I'm, I'm just hoping today that we never have to go through anything uh, like this again. So before we go... We want to thank our uh, our sponsor, APA, the unchallenged king of realistic, high-quality sports simulation products. Thanks to John Hurston and his gang for all of their support. Of course, we want to thank David at Revelation Studios in Mansfield, Texas. All right, gentlemen, it has been a slice of heaven being with you guys. I'm Mark Blousen, Herb Gould, Tom Lucci, this is Tony Barnhart. Thank you for joining us on the TMG podcast. Now you stay safe and carry on.